Science, like any field of endeavor, relies on freedom of inquiry. And one of the hallmarks of that freedom is objectivity. And now more than ever, on issues uh, ranging from climate change to AIDS research to genetic engineering to food additives, government relies on the impartial perspective of science for our guidance. That was President George H.W. Bush speaking at the National Academy of Sciences in April 1990. Welcome to the first episode of Got Science, the new podcast from the Union of Concerned Scientists. We'll be with you every two weeks to share inspiring stories of experts and citizens who are standing up for science, and we'll cover new developments in science and technology that can help people live safer, healthier lives. And of course, we'll be pulling back the curtain on attacks on science from the Trump administration and Congress, which is in fact the subject of our interview today. And be sure to stick around for the end of our podcast when we'll hop into the time machine for a brief look into science history. I'm happy to welcome Ken Kimmel, president of the Union of Concerned Scientists, into our studio here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Ken's been an advocate for science and practical science-based laws for more than 30 years. He started out as an environmental lawyer serving local communities. He was appointed general counsel at the Executive Office of Energy and Environmental Affairs in Massachusetts. And prior to joining the Union of Concerned Scientists in 2014, he was commissioner of the Massachusetts Department of Environmental Protection. Ken. Thanks for being our guinea pig for the first episode of our Got Science podcast. I want to get to the heart of the matter. We're a month into the new administration, and scientists are more than a little concerned about attacks on both science and the truth. What are the greatest threats you're seeing right now? Well, thank you, Colleen. It's really a pleasure to be with you. Um, I think we have an unusual toxic mix of two elements right now. The first is we have what I would call a factless presidency or a factless president. And what I mean by that is the many, many decisions that he's made that seem to have no connection to facts and evidence and seem to have virtually no input from the experts in his administration and outside of his administration who might be able to counsel him. So when you look at this immigration ban, for example, where uh, we've targeted seven countries, even in the absence of any evidence that those seven countries pose some particular risk to the United States, um, we have this claim that there was massive voter fraud uh, in the election for which there was absolutely no evidence, and even small and petty things like the size of the crowd at the inauguration. So one piece is making these decisions that matter to our lives without evidence, without expert input. That's one piece that's very dangerous. Adding to that is that we have a Congress that is more and more uh, in the pocket of industries and vested interests. And this Congress has been aching for the opportunity to roll back many of our bedrock laws that protect our health and our safety and our clean air and clean water. And largely, Congress has been unsuccessful in getting those laws done because the prior president, Obama, um, vetoed those bills 
But now we have a new situation um, where President Trump is open to signing some bills. And so the combination of the way he is not incorporating facts and science into his decision making on the one hand, and a Congress that seems bent on uh, eliminating many things that we count on to protect us, that is a uh, dangerous mix. And frankly, the American people have been sold a bill of goods about the role of uh, protections and regulations. A lot of people don't understand what they actually do, what their benefits are, and that's a problem as well. As you noted, President Trump is showing a certain disregard for facts. How do you see this playing out in the coming months and years? Well, first of all, um, this is my prediction. I think the American people are already wearying of a factless presidency, and this will uh, continue to occur. The more things that get said that are directly in conflict with what people know to be true. Um, But the short-term damage that we could suffer, um, we could see, for example, Um, Because there is this factless belief that all regulation is bad and that it kills jobs and it doesn't really protect people, we could see the federal government really taking a walk on enforcing our laws. And we could put consumers in harm's way. We can put uh, people who care about uh, making sure that the meat they eat or the fish that they catch are clean, that we can put them in harm's way. All one has to think about and remember is a situation like Flint, Michigan, where people were relying upon the government to make sure that their water was safe and the government fell down on that job, or the big chemical spill in West Virginia, um, where a whole water supply was put at risk because of chemical spills. Preventing these types of harms depends upon a, a vigilant government that believes in protecting people. And so far, we're not seeing that from the Trump administration. And so I do fear that in the short run, people's lives and their health is being put at risk. What's your take on how to push back when President Trump has the bully pulpit? Well, first of all, I wouldn't overestimate his bully pulpit. He has the lowest approval ratings of any president at this point in his presidency uh, since this was measured. A a lot of people are recognizing this. All you have to do is look at the size of the marches and the protests, and also look at the way that the experts, people within government who deal with these issues day by day are responding. Uh, A thousand employees of the State Department have come out and said that this uh, immigration policy won't make us safer. It'll actually uh, threaten us more. And so we're seeing uh, a tremendous outpouring of response from people who want government policy to be based on science and based on facts. Now, we need to do a lot more uh, to make sure that damage isn't done um, and to turn this around. But I am encouraged by the uh, overwhelming outpouring of opposition to this way of doing business. People are definitely standing up. There have been a lot of protests. But it's one thing to march in the streets and another to turn that into something actionable. How do we hold the president and Congress accountable? Well, we are starting to see the Trump administration being held accountable. Um, Certainly in the courts it's happening with the legal suit against the Muslim ban. I expect that there'll be many other examples of this. In fact, UCS is looking carefully at using uh, the courts as an option if the president 
takes actions that we consider to be against the law and against science. We'll be back in a minute with the second half of our interview. You're listening to Got Science, a podcast brought to you by the Union of Concerned Scientists. Learn more at ucsusa.org slash podcast. The Union of Concerned Scientists is following the Trump administration closely. Find out more at ucsusa.org slash Trump. So I want to switch gears and ask you about regulations. What's so bad about regulations? I think that people have heard this story over and over about regulations just being things that uh, bureaucrats in Washington want to do for no reason, uh, maybe because they're mean or they they just want to be in control and that it all kills jobs and, mm-hmm. and all of that. What's completely left out of this story is the reason why we have regulations and the benefits. And again, it's things like we have a rule that says you can't have lead in water. That's to protect the kids in Flint and the kids all over the country from drinking water that is dangerous and that will cause them huge problems later in life. So Ken, I know you've come up against some powerful interests in your professional life. I've heard you tell the story about your first job out of college. Can you share that with our listeners? Yeah, Colleen, I've been thinking about that uh, a lot because it helps me have hope uh, in, in our ability to be successful against the odds and what we face now. And I graduated from law school, and uh, my very first case that I was hired to do was on behalf of a little town uh, in in Massachusetts that people didn't pay a whole lot of attention to, the town of Webster. And it faced a really big threat, which was the building of a huge landfill. And what was so scary about that landfill proposal was that it was directly uphill of the town's water supply. And there was a huge uh, geologic fault line right under the landfill site. And this town was terrified for good reason that if any contaminants came out of that landfill, they would run right through this fault and be deposited into their water supply with no one even knowing about it or even having the opportunity to do anything about it. So I remember this case well because when I was hired to take it on, I was young and inexperienced, and frankly, I had no idea how we would ever win it, and I didn't actually, wasn't even sure we would. But what happened was we hired a world-class geologist, a scientist who really exposed the risk of this landfill. But even more importantly, this tiny little town got very, very politically active. They marched on the state house. Uh, They made such a huge public issue out of this that, believe it or not, when there was a gubernatorial election, the two candidates ran TV ads saying which one was going to be more likely to kill this landfill than the other. That's that's how big a deal it became. And uh, fast forward 10 years later, eventually the legislature stepped in, heard the uh, concerns, and decided to uh, buy up the land and make it a state forest. Um, so this was a huge win for science. It was a huge win for people getting organized and mobilized. And I, and I think about that case a lot because that's essentially what we have to do now. And even though it seemed like an unwinnable fight at the time, now that I look back, of course, it was winnable and, and we ended up winning. And I, I really feel that we won't win every battle along the way. There will be some some wins and losses, but we'll come out of this okay if we can apply that kind of spirit to what we have facing us. 
What advice would you give the average person and scientists? How do we push back and change the conversation? Well, I mean, I do think that the silver lining to all this is there is the beginning of a massive resistance to a factless presidency. And you see it in the size of the marches that have been done. You see it in the fact that governmental uh, civil servants, people who know these rules and laws, are standing up. You see it in our own uh, science network at UCS, which is dramatically expanded. And you see it all over the country. People are uh, rising up and saying that they're not going to accept policies that cause harm that aren't based on reality. Now, I think what we need to do to uh, specifically when it comes to science is two things. Um, I think, first of all, we've got to remind people how science has made such a positive difference in their lives. You know, I was riding my bike into work today, and I on the trail that I used to, to ride in, I, I saw um, a guy who looked like he was probably a vet jogging. And the difference was he was jogging with two prosthetic legs. And he was out there enjoying the same air that I was enjoying and getting the exercise. That, that's a triumph of science. That's the kind of thing that's, that's happening in, in people's lives because of that. Um, there's so many other examples. So I think we've got to tell that story. Um, but we've also got to tell the other story, which is what happens when you turn your back on science. What are the dangers that a society faces? And in the United States... It has been, uh, from our very founding, we, we were a country based on facts and evidence, not, not superstition, not hunches and beliefs, and that has served us very, very well. Now, what uh, we at UCS and the broader scientific community can do, um, we need to get organized, which we are doing. We need to make sure that scientists show up at public hearings when these matters are being debated that they call their elected representatives, that they write their elected representatives, that they share their work. So that is understood. And also, increasingly, we're calling on scientists to actually run for office because one of the best ways to make sure that people with expertise are involved in the decision-making is to make sure that they are the decision-makers themselves. We've been talking a lot about the challenges, and there are many, many of them. But it's not all gloom and doom, right? It definitely isn't all doom and gloom. And, and to put this all in perspective, when we think about climate change, for example, there is no question in my mind that both the United States and many countries in the world are making a transition to a clean energy economy. That train has left the station. It's moving. Uh, there's nothing that a change in leadership in the United States can do to stop that train. So I do really believe that we will continue to see progress in some fronts because of the policies and investments and technology innovation that we've enjoyed over the past eight to 10 years. And on other issues that we work on, for example, food. It is clear to me that the public is moving towards local, healthy food and away from junk food. Local governments get this. State governments get this. So there are uh, many things that are happening in society that are moving us towards progress. 
And it is really important that while we focus on defense to some extent, preventing laws that we cherish and we've fought for from being repealed or weakened, that we also recognize that especially in, in the states and in the cities and in the business community, we are making a lot of progress. And we've got to use some of this time ahead to build on that progress as well. Well, we have our work cut out for us. Ken, final question. How do you stay sane in this new environment? Well, uh, Colleen, I have uh, tried to double down on things that I love. So uh, I'm playing more tennis, and I've increased the number of times that I get together with my buddies and play rock and roll. And we've added some protest songs to our song list. Such as? Uh, We won't get fooled again. (laughs) How do you stay sane, Colleen? Well, Ken, I got a puppy. Excellent. (laughs) Rock on. Rock on. Well, that's it for our first episode of Got Science. But don't go away just yet. Our correspondent, Katie Love, has stepped into the Wayback Machine to bring you This Week in Science. This Week in Science History, we look back at the building blocks of the system that tracks the building blocks of our universe. I'm talking about the periodic table of elements. Dmitry Mendeleev was a Russian chemistry professor. On February 17, 1869, he was working on the problem of how to arrange the chemical elements in a systematic way. Placing information on each element on a separate card, he began to lay them out in different orders, searching for logical patterns. His efforts, a sort of magnetic poetry for the scientifically fixated, paid off with the first version of the periodic table we use today. One truly impressive aspect of his creation is that he purposefully left gaps in his table, accurately predicting the future discovery of new elements based on the system he mapped out. And while the periodic table continues to evolve, Mendeleev is still credited for the creation of this iconic system, one of the most recognizable symbols of science today. If you'd like a double shot of Got Science, we posted a bonus episode about climate change and winter featuring climate scientist Dr. Brenda Eckwurzel. And we'll be back in two weeks with Dr. Andy Rosenberg, director of the UCS Center for Science and Democracy. We'll be discussing how scientists can prepare for uncertainty on the role of science in the Trump administration. Thanks to Ken Kimmel, president of UCS, for joining us. Our theme song was written and recorded by Brian Middleton. Our editors are Louis Castilla and Brian Middleton. Our This Week in Science correspondent is Katie Love. Our executive producer is Rich Hayes. And I'm your host, Colleen McDonald. You can find more of our podcasts at ucsusa.org slash podcast. Podcast.